Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Stephen, for whom daily happiness is entirely relationship-driven. Enjoy. Stephen, welcome to the Relating to Self podcast. Thank you so much. I'm, I, you know, I'm really excited to be here. And that's, that's genuine excitement, seriously. Beautiful. I love that. For a bit of context, I'm going to speak about how I know you and why you're here. So mm -hmm. you're a fellow entrepreneur and we met in one of the entrepreneurship communities that we're both part of, the Dynamite Circle. And I immediately sensed that there was more to you than just, you know, the entrepreneur, the typical CEO with the online company. So yeah, you're a fellow seeker and you seem to be in that place in life where I find myself as well. We're around the same age and we both have some kind of success, I guess you could say, in what we're doing. And so we have a lot of freedom to think about mm -hmm. what it is that we want to create next. And I find that an interesting place. So I'd love to talk about that. Also, I heard you say that you have thought about supporting men in like a mental health perspective way. And that was something that was also really interesting to me as this podcast relating to self is all about how we relate to ourselves and how we can improve that relationship. And so my first question is traditionally always the same one. When you hear this phrase relating to self, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to me to relate to self? I, I mean, I'm just going to be sort of What what are those what are those tests that they give you when when you have the the splat of the Rorschach, the Rorschach test. it's a Rorschach test right that's what it is I, I just I, it means introspection to me right so relating to self would mean for, for me it's it's how can I take a moment to consider the outside world but I would even almost say let's leave the outside world be for a moment and think about who am I. What have I become or what do I think I am? What are my perceptions of myself and those types of things? And also what I want and how I want it or why I want it. I guess why is a better question, really. Um, and what do I do about it at the end of the day, right? So if you're going to improve or deepen or add value to or make more rich any relationship, You know, you're going to have to ask the, why are you doing it and how, then how are you going to take next steps? And so that, you know, now it's, it's more of a boomerang, right? It's more of a, how do we do that for ourselves rather than, you know, either, you know, like you're my relationship or my relationship with my, my wife, my spouse or my kids or, or any of my friends. So that's what it means to me. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. I like this bunch of questions and I'm going to fire one of those at you. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> That's such a good question. I've never oh, asked that man. before. You know, uh, who am I? Oof, gosh. You know, I, and that, that is so funny because, you know, we have this problem of 
of this world that moves so rapidly and um it is now uh, you know, relationships are built and left so so often and so quickly um and and what immediately pops to mind is you know any social platform that you join or have joined in the last you know 10 years there's a profile Right. Like, and you've got, you know, your 300 or 500 words or less to try to say, who are you? Like, what are you going to put on the table? And who I am, I'm an explorer, my friend. That is who I am. Hmm. And that, and the reason why I put that, why I say that is because I've thought about this. I've thought about this a lot. And it, you know, at, at some point along the way, and this is only in the last five years or so, I had to, I had to stop saying, okay, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business person, or I'm a dad, or this. And, and really, my highest value is exploration. I've, I've, I've come to terms with that. I'm happy with that. It, it, even just putting it on the table right now for you is it gets me jazzed to say, look, I, I love being on the edge of that cliff. And, or looking at that forest, that, you know, that virgin forest that nobody's gone into yet, or, thinking about something that I haven't done yet that, that gives me a little bit of, a little bit of trepidation. That's who I am. That's, that's what, that's, that's, you know, if, if someone were to encapsulate me in one word, that's what I would hope they would take away. That's beautiful. I love that also because it relates to the relationship you have with yourself, right? I do believe mm -hmm. that people who are explorers, naturally curious about the world will at some point inevitably start being curious about their inner world and about mm -hmm. The you know you say something like being at the edge of the cliff. Mm -hmm. I think I've been at the edge of that cliff inside of myself quite often. Oh, hundred yeah, hundred percent. Right? Yeah, and so I, you yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really curious about if you could take us through the evolution of your relationship with yourself. Like, what has changed when you encountered those cliffs inside of yourself? And that's like, I mean, we might have to triple down on the podcast, my friends, because that's a long story. And I'm sure that everybody has a story though. But I mean, I, I think that I have been fairly introspective my entire life. That's just the nature of, of my personality. Um, I don't know where or how I got it, but, um, you know, as, as soon as you said that the first image that came to mind was my 15 year old self, you know, kind of thinking, you know, well, how am I getting out of the place where I grew up? And I mean that in the best way. I'd, I grew up with a fantastic family. I had a, a wonderful little home, you know, middle-class America, this kind of thing. But I was ready to, it, it wasn't, it didn't fit me. You know what I mean? I was, I was meant for something else other than that. And so I, I've, I've had that conversation for a long time. And if I think about that 15 to, tw you know, let's, let's call it 25 range. I wasn't a person who was born into a family of means. And so figuring out how do I, evolve to get out of that place that that was a huge part of how am i changing who i am and how the world perceives me and what i'm what i'm doing and that that's what brought me or solidified that entrepreneurial uh, part of my personality it, it's i think that for me some some people arrive at entrepreneurialism either through necessity or they they kind of discover it um as a part of their their academic training and those kinds of things. But this is, it's just an innate thing for me. I've, I've always been, I think it goes hand in hand with exploration, right? Mm -hmm. You, you see that problem and you have to, you have to try to find, try to solve it. Yeah. I'm really curious because I do notice that most of the people who come as guests in my podcasts have some kind of a history or a story around trauma. 
Mm. Um, growing up in difficult circumstances or going through things that are difficult to deal with. And so they have to change the way they relate to themselves. They have mm. to heal themselves in order to be able to, you know, act in the world. From what you just said, it sounds like you had a good childhood, you know, you grew up happily, your family mm -hmm. maybe didn't have many means, but it sounds like you didn't really experience much trauma. And that makes me really curious because most of the exploration part seems to stem from some kind of like a drive to understand where the suffering comes from. Mm. And maybe if the suffering wasn't there for you, that I'm like curious as to the origin <laughs> of that exploration. Drive, I'm right? going to, and you're, what you're resonating is. So I've always, so I, I, I want to be really clear too, for those listening, like I don't ever want to characterize myself as having, you know, coming from like this sort of poverty kind of place or anything like that. What I meant was, you know, your, your sort of standard lower middle class, you know, family in America had totally acceptable, you know, life. And I often, if we were at a dinner party right now, I would um, say I was, I was either be, I was beaver and leave it to beaver. You know, I had a father that went to work and, and came home at night. You know, my mom worked for a while, but then, you know, but she was mostly a housewife and I've got an older brother and I was a latchkey kid. You know, I came home from elementary school and I let myself in the house. So like all of that stuff was just so, I just, you know, this, this, I had this life that was unremarkable, right? Hmm. But rather than trauma, <laughs> I, it, as a guest, you always balance is like, man, am I going to sound like such a total asshole, but, or whatever, but, but, you know, but Bring I'm a on. person of, well, no, I'm a person of what I like to say is extraordinary capacity. Right. Oh. And so, and I've always felt that way. I've always said, look, do you want to do this project? Yeah, we can do this. I, I am, I am ready to muscle that, you know, I'm ready to shoulder that responsibility. Um, we want to go on this adventure. Great. Let's figure out how to do it. Right. Um, Hey, you want to start a relationship? Yeah, I'm in. I'm like, I'm not just in, like, I just jumped in the deep end of the pool and I'm going to go deeper, you know, like that is the, what I mean by a person of capacity. And so, Rather than someone who comes from a, a base of trauma, and I actually, I don't, I watch the the world of um, the social universe that we have kind of here in 2022. That's when we're recording this, right? Um, it troubles me a lot that that seems to be the base from where people most. I, I see that happening so much often. Like everybody has a trauma. Everybody, I, I I look back and I say, look, I think okay, I've had my moments. I had my my friends that bullied me, and I had this and that. But what I really want to look at is like, you know, what it was is that I was struggling to break outside those bounds that I have because I, I have so much to give. I have so much to, um, offer, um, those that I'm in contact with those, you know, whatever, whatever I come in contact with, I, you know, that's what I, I want to be able to, I, I want to bring that energy to it and I love it. And it's, it's always been a little difficult for me when, something goes flat or you, you know, you restart a relationship and it's like, Oh, wait, you didn't want to dive. You didn't want to, do, Oh, well crap. You know, like, but that, so that's, I, that, I, that, that's my best answer for that question. Yeah. Well, what that speaks to, I think is having that perspective of yourself that you have this extraordinary capacity as you speak at a young age for me probably means that you already loved yourself, that you had a very healthy self self-worth. Because 
I think of myself now also as someone with an extraordinary capacity. Mm-hmm. But for many decades, I didn't, I wasn't able to believe that about myself. Mm. I kind of felt it, but then I mm. felt like an imposter. And I felt like I, I didn't have the sense of self-worth necessary to actually believe that about myself and thus to act that way. So I'm really curious where your self, self-worth came from at an early age. I, I think that I would say that we're, we're, we're highly similar. I think there's a lot of drive and a lot of need that comes from a lack of, ex, of, of, of that imposter syndrome of that mm. is, wait, do I, am I really good at, can I really do that? Do you know? Um, and I think there's, so there's a separate thread there. Um, but I would say that the capacity component of what I was speaking about comes from, or has its genesis in the fact that I come from a ridiculously supportive family. You know, I was, I was told from a very, very young age that you can do this. You're able to do this. I had many markers along the way of, especially in my young childhood of people saying, you know, we're going to mark you as a talented and capable person, um, either in academics or in music or in sports. Um, and so I was primed to, to, you know, quite often to say, you know, from my environment, from adults, from, from peers to say, okay, look, you actually, yeah, no, you can do it. Whatever, whatever you want to do, you can do it. Um, so I think that's where the, that, that's where that comes from. I, it's yeah. never been an issue for me to say, I, I, and as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm really honestly just kind of cranking through my brain right now. Has there ever been a time when somebody has been like, so X, Y, Z, do you want to try it? And, and there's, I don't think there's ever been a time in my brain when I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I can do that. You know, I'm not sure if that's, that's like, okay, there's times when I'm like, okay, I'm not interested. Like, that's not me, but there's never been a time when I'm like, oh yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that I'm actually capable of doing that. Like, and so it's a weird, both it's a great thing to have in your life, but it's also a weird burden to bear. Because I think this is where I, I'm going to bleed into that second question is if we look at the measures of success that our society loves in terms of wealth and, you know, uh, fame and those kinds of things, you know, I'm, I'm decently successful. You know what I mean? But I know that I wake up on a regular basis and be like, oh man, why, why am I not a cajillionaire? You know, or why, you know, why am I not, you know, how come I didn't notice the, you know, the X, Y, Z trend and, you know, jump on that bandwagon a long time ago or, or how come I don't have 200 million followers, you know, like, you know, and that's where that, and not imposter syndrome, but sort of that, that self-worth creeps in where it's like, wait, am I really that? But if you then, I've worked a lot. So if you want to think about relating to self, like I have spent a lot of time over the last 15 years focusing on, uh, you know, not focusing, but working on letting go, letting go of that and figuring out how to be happy in, in the moment that you have. And it's a daily struggle, I think for everyone, you know, myself, but I, I think I'm a lot better at it now than I was 15 years ago, for sure. Um, because, you know, even I'm, this is just ironic, but last night I was listening uh, to, a. It was the TED Talk or podcast. I'm not sure exactly what it was. It was in the background. My wife was listening to it. And it was about this Harvard study, uh, this longitudinal study, you know, of 70 years or so of people that they followed literally for 70 years. And they've kind of really like, they're like, look, we have 70 years of data of these almost 1,000 men. 
we know a lot about what happiness is and turns out it's mostly relationship driven. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if you have nothing in terms of material wealth or tons, but it's about, do you create deep, lasting, meaningful relationships and are they supportive? And that is, gosh, what a great data to have, you know what I mean? And so it was just another one of those times where I'm just like, oh yeah, who cares if you, do you really care if you're going to make that other dollar? No. Like, how are you diving into relationships, you know? And how are you like making the most of that moment? So I'm not sure exactly what question I'm answering anymore, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> First of all, I would like to say that I, I honor the fact that that's how you brought up. You know, I think mm. that's so rare and I think it's really beautiful to be supported by a family Uh, that gives you the belief that, yes, you can do this. Yes, you're able to do this. That's amazing. Well, I, you know, I got to say too, it's it, what, what's the, it's, and it's so strange to be congratulated for that in my brain, right? Because to me, that's normal. And I would like to think that, you know, I'm for, I'm, I'm not shy about it. I, I have a wife, I have three children and that's, we, have, we often are, we work really hard at being a tight unit and because of our lifestyle, we travel around the world, you know, like we, you know, we, we are hugely supportive of one another, but I got to be honest with you, my friend, I, I don't watch movies that are about dysfunctional families. Hmm. I stopped doing it 10 years ago because I realized like I would always get kind of like a third or two thirds into the movie. And I just kind of like, I'm like, all you have to do is talk to one another. And this is solved, you know, or all you have to do is apologize. And this is solved. And I, it drives me absolutely batty <laughs> that we have so much, especially entertainment that's driven around either relationship or familial dysfunctionality when it, I don't, okay. I'm not, I don't want to be, let, let's not be, uh, what is it? But not like, like sort of, you know, broad brush about, you know, sort of abusive relationships and those kinds of things, but holy crap. It just, honestly, I can't even, I don't even, I don't even bother even trying to go through or like if I see a, a show, I don't, I wouldn't even bother turning it on. So there you go. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think the, um, the garbage in garbage out theory kind of makes sense. I think mm -hmm. a lot of those shows that show how people shouldn't interact with each other end up being examples for people. I remember having this discussion with an ex-girlfriend of mine who literally quoted Sex in the City 100%. during some of our relationship, you know, struggles. And I was like, but that's so dysfunctional. That's so toxic. <laughs> like, that's not a good example, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, I mean, like, you know, what Survivor, the, the reality TV show is what now almost 30 years old or something like that. It's been around forever. I think maybe 25, I, who knows, but it's been around long enough that it has become the reality TV thing has become more than a meme, more than something that's neat. It's become a way that we interact right? Yeah. Um, the soundbite has become a way that we interact. The TikTok slash Instagram reel has become a completely acceptable way that we interact. The cancel culture has been a way we react rather than you and I have had this discussion before in other forums where, you know, the messiness of actual human relationships is just something that we are less and less prepared for and willing to participate in more and more these days. And I, I honestly, it's just, I'm, I'm more sad than anything else because there's so much loss there. Right. I, I think back to, I'm not sure if you and I were having this conversation, um, but maybe, but, but maybe we were, where I, I found myself fascinated. This maybe is six months ago or a year ago. I love these little thought experiments. I'm like, what, what if we just sort of created this group where 
the only thing that we did was to send hard copy letters to one another. You know, what would it be like for me to say, okay, look, I know you and we're, we're, you know, we're better than acquaintances, right? We're, we're, we're decent acquaintances. But what if I sent you a hard copy letter rather than you knowing anything about me on like a social media feed or like any sort of instant update through an app or, uh, you know, like WhatsApp or anything like that. How cool would it be to be like, wow, I just, this is like a piece of gold, right? Where, you know, here's these five pages of, hey, here's what's actually been happening with me and how I feel about it. And, you know, even, and I, I just, that, that thought experiment made me so happy to think about. And it's going to, I know I sound like a total dork right now, but how much have we lost because of those moments where, gosh, I just don't really, and I'm really interested to know what is it that's been happening for you the last two or three months or, or half a year or whatever. Does that resonate? Yeah, for sure. I think it also forces you to treat the way you speak about yourself differently. Like if I have to mm. sit down and write you a five page letter, that's going to be very different from me just like going, you know, Hey, on WhatsApp, <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. I'm going to put mm -hmm. more time and energy. 100%. Into that. Yeah. yeah. But I would like to come back to something you said that I don't necessarily agree with, or that I think is more nuanced. This idea that we can solve all dysfunctional relationships by just talking about them. Mm. And I've, I've lived through that. So for me, that definitely feels, hmm, that wasn't possible for me at the time. I didn't have the capacity okay. to do that in the sense that there's two things. One, I never had the example of how you can talk about something in a calm and composed way that doesn't create drama. And second, there were a number of triggers in those kind of conversations that made me freeze. You know, the, the fight, flight, freeze kind of thing where mm -hmm. you are so overpowered, your nervous system is going to a shutdown and you basically mm -hmm. can't function anymore. And, and when that happens in those dysfunctional circumstances, then you don't have the capacity to speak at all. The only thing you can do is just at best retreat, you know. Sure. And I think you've attached yourself to the that my my sort of broad brush or flippant answer to the to dysfunctional relationships but you know dysfunctional relationships have um i think the the more important point to take away from there is that we can either interact and um communicate in a relationship to either work our way out of a problem solve it together find some other alternative solution but the, the you know we always have the we we're lucky enough at least in your and my world to be able to walk away from relationships and be, it really comes down to the intentionality of human relationships. That's what I'm mm -hmm. trying to get at, where what is characterized for many of us in, not in, only in our media in the Western world, but also sort of in our interactions that we see on social media and, and, and whatnot, is that we don't honor the, our, our power and our ability to invest in those relationships and then, you know, um, own our power in those relationships, but also be able to walk away from them. And that's a really intentional thing. I, so many times you'll see in these, again, just to sort of take a movie or, or a, a, you know, a TV show thing where all you want to do is the, you know, the character that you like, you're like, just leave him. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, just fucking walk out the door. And I apologize for, for my French there, but it's just, it's, it's really is that simple. There's like a billion other people in the, in the, you know, and you're connected and all these, like, just leave him. It's that really that simple. Yes, but then there's no movie, Stephen. That's, that's the whole point. <laughs> I know. And, and, we need and, the drama. Right? And, well, and that's where the drama comes from, right? But yeah. we've, you know, again, we, we could go down this rabbit hole forever too. We're, you know, we're tied up in, that's tied up, especially in like a relationship universe. 
I'm still fascinated by how much is tied up around the marriage or, you know, consummation of a partnership moment rather than the understanding that that moment is actually the beginning of the hardest part of the relation. You know what I mean? That is where a relationship begins. That's the, that's the, that's the, you've both, you're sitting there, you're intentionally, you're, you're looking each other in the eye, whatever, whoever your partner is. And you're saying, I'm committing to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And what that means is we're going to work on this together. Right. And so, Okay. You, 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 so rather than saying that's, that's the moment of where everything's kind of solved, we're going to work on this and we're going to bend and we're going to compromise and these kinds of things. Okay. Then if you find yourself in those places of dysfunctionality, you have to once again, find yourself in another moment of intentionality to say, what are we going to do? Are we going to double down and go further? Or is like, have we just found ourselves at a moment where maybe this is no longer right? Yeah. No longer right. And this brings me back to, well, the original theme of the podcast. I think that's one of the reasons that I started paying so much attention to my relationship with myself, because mm. unlike any other dysfunctional relationship, I couldn't walk away from that one. Mm. Well, I, and I want to, this is a, and I don't think that there is a, I think the answer still holds in this particular case, because I'm, I'm going to give you an example of a woman I know here. Um, I live in the city of Mexico, my Mexico city down here in Mexico right now. Um, and I, I, you know, someone in my, my social circle here, I met her and she's again of our universe. She's a, she's a, a comfortable Mexican, uh, a woman who's had a career and you know, whatnot. Um, she was, was married and, you know, had, had children. And, you know, a couple of years ago, there's this one day she just said, you know what, this, this isn't me. This isn't me. And it, it was her having this conversation with herself. And when she, when she, when that, when that conversation started, it was uncomfortable. And then it kind of became more comfortable. And then it, it came to us where she realized, wow, I actually, I'm aligned with a different star than I have been for the last 15 years. And that to her was that moment that, that sort of that aha moment to say, okay, person who's my husband, I need to have a tough conversation with you, but how can we do this as adults? Right. And, and also have that with our children. And now she's living a life that is literally night and day than the one that she had before. Um, but boy, is she happy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like she just exudes energy and, uh, you know, you watch her and you're just, wow, like she's a literal rock star now, you know? And so it's just super, super cool. And this is, I don't know. I, I would love to know about the other conversations that you've had with other people, or maybe this is somewhere we have in this conversation where just like any relationship, the relationship with ourselves, I think evolves over time because we're in different moments in life. We have different needs for ourselves in life. I mean, we are men of a certain age. So, you know, as I approach what we would consider, you know, traditionally midlife, uh, my needs are incredibly different than the one that I had, you know, when I was 20 something and even 30 something. Um, but oh, it's no less rich and no less exciting and no less satisfying, but it's different. It's certainly, certainly different. Mm, yeah. And that's what I was bringing up really is that this idea of continually working on relationships for me, relationships are a practice more than anything else. It's something mm -hmm. that you practice every day. And especially the relationship with myself, because there I literally cannot run away from myself, even for five minutes, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm always mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really curious also when it comes to your relationship with yourself, because, you know, through your stories, I, I understand that you have this amazing power to just show up to yourself. But there must be something that's difficult for you. Like, I'm curious if you have perhaps 
an inner critic that is very active sometimes, like telling you, like, you know, you could have done this better or... Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Let's talk about what's hard. What's hard for you? What's hard? I'm... In your relationship with yourself. So there's your inner critic. Is there anything else? The most difficult thing for me in the relationship with myself is um, what we were talking about earlier, the imposter syndrome and the the the, the specter that I could have been more. Um, mm. So my, if, if, if the word that describes who I, my, my, my best self is, is the explorer, right? The word that gives me the most fear is mediocrity, right? Or, or mediocre, oh, right? So interesting. And so, oh, I, I, that is the, the worst thing that you can, I mean, the worst outcome for me in anything is, eh, meh, that was okay. You know? Even though there were people were happy and whatever, like to, to th- like an average life, an average conversation, an average cup of tea is, I mean, okay, I'm exaggerating here, right? But <laughs> me- mediocrity, and this drives, I honestly drives my wife insane because, you know, why not commit to saying, yes, let's make this a moment. Let's make this extraordinary, right? Even okay, if it's is... going to be a, even if it's going to be a dinner party, right? Like, right. Why, why have the banal conversation about what your kids did? Like, no, like ask a serious freaking question. Like, let's get like, like we only have so many minutes on this earth. Like let's actually have real conversations, you know, or, um, and which is, again, I'm going to just foreshadow here. I don't know if we're going to go there, but it's one of the reasons why my wife and I've been very, we think we've been very successful in sort of an international life because we can create community in a flash simply because we're able to walk into a room and be like, Hey, that's nice. You look nice, but now let's talk about something real, you know, and let's, let's actually go have a real moment and experience, you know? So I love that. I think that's absolutely great, but there's one thing that I would like to share and that is antithetical to what you just shared. I think one of my breakthroughs in life was when I finally accepted my own mediocrity. And with that, I mean exactly this idea of like, you know, this specter of I could have been more. I mm-hmm. had this vision sometimes mm-hmm. of, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to be like a famous musician. I was a, <laughs> I was a musician in a previous life. I was a composer and I had these dreams of like, you know, being on stage everywhere in the world, which actually I was, but it didn't look like the reality didn't match my, sure. my imagination. Yeah. Oh yeah. And being in that van for 18 hours. I've been there, my friend. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but then actually coming to terms with like, wait a second, I'm not going to be a star. I'm not going to be an amazing scientist who changes the world. I'm not going to cure cancer. I accept the mediocrity of my life as in I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm, I'm not going to change the trajectory of humankind. I'm also not the worst human on this planet. I'm, I'm going to do something of interest to some people and that's okay. That's enough. And I think mm. that was such a liberation for me. And so hearing you say that like, mediocrity is like the, that's like the worst for you. That's so interesting because it's yeah, I, the opposite. I love the reflection that you just provided as well, because I admit that I think that I've had that conversation with myself as well. Right. Um, and no, I don't think I know that I have. And Again, I, so I had this, I, I had this conversation with a person who's, I, I, if he were here today, I would consider him a friend, but we just had, we kind of lost our, lost touch along the way. But I can remember this conversation clear as day. And this is, you know, early 2000s. Let's, let's say it's 20 years ago. Or he, we're just sitting there and we were having a beer and he's, he's like, you know, Laddick, he's like, have you ever sat and thought to yourself? He's like, there are just some things that just aren't possible for me anymore. 
You know, he's like, he's like, for example, you and I, you know what, we're, we're in our twenties, like late, late twenties. He's like, we're never going to be Olympic athletes. That's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like I'm, and ironically, he was actually part of an Olympic skating program and like whatnot. He's like, he's like, but you, you, you getting on the Olympic gold that that's, and you just got to accept that, you know, that, that, that I like, even now the, the conversation is so palpable to me that yes, I have visited that just like you very often, I would say kind of almost regularly, you have to accept the fact that, okay. And who knows the good, the beautiful thing is that on the other side of that, uh, that coin or the other side of that conversation or, you know, what's the old adage, you know, Colonel Sanders didn't start Kentucky fried chicken until he was 80 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, so it's really, so what, so what do we learn from these two, two pieces? It's like, it it still brings us back to what, how are you happy? Right. Are you, are you getting up every day and saying, you know, rather than filling a hole that can't be filled or rather than trying to acquire things or wealth or money or like that ultimately is, are only amplifiers of whatever you have as a cognitive reality, right. As your personality and your core self, how are you getting in touch with that core self and the, the beauty of every day, right. Literally. And this just like the gorgeousness of being able to wake up every day and say, Hey, Holy smokes, this is this is a gift, right? Mm, and as as beautiful. As platitudinous as that sounds, right? But it really is, right? It really is. And that's something I practice very intentionally as well. Yeah. Like even you making I mean? myself a cup of tea in the morning, even if I have to admit the tea that I make for myself is very mediocre compared to the tea <laughs> that I've had in, you know, in Japan and other places. <laughs> But I enjoy that with my whole body because I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm making myself this cup of tea and it's just for me. And thank you. I'm so grateful. And just sitting there in the sun in the morning, having my tea, it just makes me happy. And it's yeah. this very mundane kind of happiness that I appreciate above all else. Really, hundred percent. And I, you know, the, it's kind of like what we were just talking about as well. Like these different, what makes you happy is that it could be different in different parts of your life. Like what makes me happy right now? You know, we, we recently moved here to Mexico from Thailand. Um, and the things that I did in Thailand were not extraordinarily different, but I had a different routine. I had different interactions. The weather was, you know, those kinds of things. And so now I, you know, a year and a half in, I've established this just, you know, it just makes me so happy, you know, getting up and my, my coffee is there. And then, you know, I kind of move into some, you know, the, my day and how I, I it, and it's, it's not Groundhog Day. It's not something where I'm like, oh, fine, how do I change this? It's like, it's a comfort zone. And when I don't have that, I actually feel off because I'm like, wait a second, the routine was disrupted. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, I, I'm, I'm endorsing it. I'm endorsing it, you know, and, and that's, so by, by coming back to it, it's still really just, ah, as much as how difficult is it for us to, um, come back? I'm sorry. Did you just hear that? My, my yeah, silly little, whatever, you know, oh my gosh, <laughs> I forgot to turn off my calendar. This is real life. <laughs> novice, novice mistake. <laughs> um, that what I find really, really fascinating is how difficult it is to turn off two things. One, the bullshit stories in your head and two, the noise from the outside world. Mm-hmm. One of the scariest things that I never got to do, um, be- unfortunately because of COVID was to go on a 10 day silent meditation retreat in Thailand, which, I mean, the opportunity is still there. And but like I was, you know, I was in Thailand. I was, it was in striking distance and, and I had put it off, you know, once and then COVID hit and I, we moved to Mexico, but, that was terrifying to me 
And I know it was terrifying because you go to a monastery and you have to give up life for 10 days. They don't let you take any devices in and you don't get to contact any of the outside world. Um, And you get like one piece of clothing and that's it, you know? And obviously I'm saying a little tongue in cheek, but that was truly like, can I do this? You know, can I, can I actually, and that I'm, I'm even talking about it now. I mean, just, yes, I want to try it because Mm -hmm. I also think that I would come out of those 10 days so refreshed and so thankful for giving myself that moment and hopefully would be able to come away from that and take it with me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like take it with me. And that's, we, well, I'm really happy you bring that up because you said it beautifully, uh, giving up life for 10 days. And that brings me to my next subject, which is a subject I'm thinking about a lot these days and that I haven't really broached with anyone else on the podcast yet. And that is death. Mm. Since we're in the same age, um, I don't know how you feel about this. For me, it feels something like I am now at the peak of what I would call my power and my wisdom. It's kind of like, Mm. I feel like I still have all the capacity of my body and my mind that I used to have as a younger person, but I'm way wiser than I used to be. So I feel like, wow, this is awesome. And I can do whatever from here. I imagine, I assume that some of those capacities will start to diminish in probably also beautiful, manageable ways. I'm not afraid of that, but I'm curious how you face death or the idea of death. It's a wonderful question because at the end of the day, you know, we all have, this is a, you know, I, I find it funny. You know, I had never talked about our, our musician paths, you know, our, our, our pasts as musicians and people will now, they can now look us up and see what we, you know, used to look like with long hair. But, um, it's, it's, I, I wrote about it even when I was, even when I was in my teens and twenties, I wrote music that the lyrics spoke specifically to the fact of your time is short, right? And you, you know, you, the, so, you know, live these moments to their fullest. I don't consider decline, even though it's happening to me now, my eyes are going to pot. I mean, I'm, I've got bifocals now, like what, when did that happen? Right. I, um, I noticed that I don't recover from exercise quite as quickly, uh, actually quickly at all anymore. I, I teach, I'm a, I'm an adjunct instructor at a university. And I, you know, when I walk into the class on a rate, you know, and I, I now have that moment that's like, Oh wow. I really am 25 years older than you. You know, like that is it's, it's tangible. Whereas I used to kind of feel like, Hey, I'm just like an older peer. I'm an older, like now I'm like, no, there is distance here, which is a wisdom distance. And I'm, I, again, I appreciate that. Um, And I want to put this on the table as well, because I've recently been exposed to, not through COVID, but but exposed to death in two different ways or in in two events that were very kind of close to home. A person who was a former employee of mine, who again is our age, um, died of a heart attack suddenly, just, you know, boom, you know, middle forties. And just, you you just get the, you know, you get the notice that one day we're saying, Hey, this otherwise completely vital person. And a year before that, um, a cousin of mine, same thing was driving home from the gym, heart attack, you know? And so it just, it brings it really into perspective that these are the moment, you know, like we're, we're now of that statistical, you know, section 
of, of the human, of the human race where things start failing. But when you think of death, the hardest thing about death is that it's, it's a great unknown, right? And so that's what I think we, most of us struggle with. That's where the fear is because most of us are terrified of the unknown. So the explorer in me is not terrified of that. I wouldn't say I'm curious, but I, I'm not, I'm not, as, I'm not, not terrified of it. And I think rather than a contemplation of death, it's, it's really driven me, especially in these moments to say, okay, you know, I'm willing to kind of draw a line, a much more stark line about triviality in relationships and triviality in the things that I do, because I want to be happy and I want to, I, I want to be satisfied with what's going on rather than hey, let's just kind of see how this works, right? I guess I'm making much more conscious choices about how I spend my time and invest my my efforts and those kinds of things because, you know, I, I think that, that that definitely is a factor driving that now. Yeah, I, I agree. I have similar thoughts. Do you think, do, do you think about, like, I'm wondering if the question had a component to it of a really religiosity or a spirituality or a death, like that, is that where you were thinking as well or? No, quite the opposite, really. I don't consider myself to be religious at all. Um, Nor do I, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I am spiritual in the sense that I like to observe the workings of my mind, but I'm not spiritual in the sense that I believe in higher powers or, you know, anything metaphysical, really. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. feel like I need that in my life. But for me, death is a very a very real thing that is completely unavoidable, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel very often that a lot of our culture in the West kind of acts as if it doesn't exist. We, mm -hmm. we want to be oblivious to it, to the mm -hmm. reality of death. And so I've been researching like, wait, but what does it mean to actually fully live life while also fully accepting death? Mm -hmm. And I think that has also greatly helped me to, as you said, embrace the moment now much more and go deeper into the relationships that I have and attend to the things that are in my life with much more attention and intention than I used to. So I think contemplating death is one of the most powerful things we can do to celebrate life. Um, I couldn't agree more. And I've also, you know, I don't know if you've had this experience as well, but I've had the experience of elder members of my family or whatnot, you know, where you were, especially in our, our sort of Western culture. Hmm. I'm not sure where to, where to kind of go with this answer. Cause there's a couple different ways to think about it, but we tend to, at least in our culture, tend to, we, we tend to try to preserve life rather than I, what's the, I'm not, I, gosh, the, 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 the word is failing me right now, but rather than preserving life at all costs, like it's, it's, how do you suck the marrow out of it and honor it? But then, also you know, sort of have that, have that, yeah, have that realization. It's like, Hey, look, there are, you know, we are all going to go at some point. Right. Yeah. I actually remember now that you, you know, you said you lived in Thailand for a while and I, I had one of those moments in Thailand and I want to share this because it's this was beautiful for me. And mm -hmm. I was in Chiang Mai. I went for a walk in the mountain and it was a beautiful day. It was sunny. There was almost nobody on the path. I was all alone walking on this mountain path in, in the greenery, just this beautiful, lush, tropical mm -hmm. greenery. And the sun was falling on the leaves, making beautiful shadows on the path. And I was looking at all this and I felt so intensely happy to just be there and experience that beauty. And then a thought struck me and the thought was like, wow, one day, 
all the richness of this experience that I'm having right now will just be gone. It's nothing mm. but smoke, you know, disappear. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, that didn't phase me. It was, it was like an acceptance that was part of the reality of that moment. And maybe even part of that beauty, because I remember someone, someone once told me a long time ago that, you know, if you think about why roses are beautiful and plastic roses aren't beautiful, it's because roses are perishable. Roses die. Mm. Mm. And that's part of the poetry. That's part of the beauty. And yeah, I, I somehow relate to that. And in that moment, that kind of like came to the forefront. I think it's gorgeous. Absolutely. And it also goes back to, I'd love to consider, you know, another question or another topic for us to talk about is just the organic nature of life, hmm. right? And the necessity of adapting and those kinds of things. So, but that's, that's nothing, but where I thought you were actually going to go with being alone in the, was, you know, it's the old adage, you, you're born alone, you die alone. And how much of us, how many of us really take the time to think about, or again, I guess it would be growing the muscle of being okay with being alone. You know, oh, and being okay one. with, you know, and so because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, there, there's probably a ton of people that you and I both know. And if you were to sort of put this, that, that, that little uh, soliloquy of, of that moment in the general population, it would terrify so many people. What, what hiking alone in the forest? You know, that not people would say it's boring or it's scary or it's, you know, I, I, they don't know what to do with themselves in their own mind. Whereas in my head, I was, you know, I throughout my life have regularly taken long treks, you know, with a backpack through a forest or through whatever. And it's such an incredible thing to spend time with yourself. Oh, it's so rich. And and nothing else, right? I guess it goes back to that, you know, what we were just talking about, the, the silent meditation, right? Absolutely. But that's done with, usually that's done with a lot of people. But but to really truly find yourself in places of isolation and in places of solitude is really what I'm looking for there. That's the word. Solitude is... That's where you really, you can, I mean, if you let yourself be there, that there's no other, there, you can't avoid the death thought, right? You can't avoid the thought of what if, what if this is, you know, like th mm. that, you know what I'm saying? And so I don't have a great point for that, but it's just, I, I know that there's, there's some menage there, there's some resonance there and some really deep importance of spending time by yourself i mean and i don't know if it's the henry david thoreau thing or whatever but you know but it's it it be, becoming con contemplative on your own is extraordinarily important i think i can say that there are two things that have greatly helped me in life one is getting comfortable with being alone with myself mm -hmm. the other is getting comfortable with not knowing things mm those two things combined have made my life a lot easier. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there is definitely, I think, and this is us speaking as, you know, men of certain age as well, where there's at some point you just got to say, you know what, that's just not, that's, that, that's just not important to me, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about that. You have to, you absolutely have yes. to. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Stephen, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. We are nearing the end and I have one final question. I'm just curious in that way. Um, was there any question that I haven't asked you that you perhaps were looking forward to answer? I don't think there was necessarily a question 
that you have not asked. I mean, the the thing that I'm finding right now is that I want to continue the conversation, right? And, but here's, but here's the thing. I mean that in the really genuine best way in that I know that if, if I were to allow myself right now to look at a work calendar or open email or something, you would be sucked into that world. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is just like a meditative moment in any other way in that I'm so just, I'm satisfied right now. I'm, 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 mm-hmm. I'm marinating in this sort of, this feels good. I love this conversation. This is so much more important than any bullshit email I could ever send, you know, or whatever that I just, you know, I want it to continue. And like, so my, my thought is rather than a question is my thought is like, how do we, how do we have this buzz in our life for the entire day? Right. Every day. Beautiful question. That, that is what I would, that's what I leave you with. Wonderful. I shall think about that. And in the meantime, I wish you a beautiful day. One more thing, perhaps if people want to reach you or reach out to you, where can they find you on the internet? I was going to say in the, in the the metaverse, but we're not there yet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we are. No, um, Laddick.com. Just go to L-A-D-E-K.com and you will, there's no way you can miss me. Wonderful. That's simple. I like it. Stephen, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day there in Mexico and enjoy the rest of your birthday because I know that's today. Oh, yeah, you called it out. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.